This podcast is about your future. What if the next years of your life can be the best years of your life? When full-time work becomes optional, you'll have the time to do all the things you've always wanted to do. If only you had the time. And soon you will. But to make the most of it, you'll need to be well-prepared. And that goes well beyond your financial planning. Each week, your host, Joe Casey, is inviting you into conversations with his guests to bring you insights, inspiration, and practical ideas to design your new life, a life you'll build around what matters most to you and on your own terms. Let's get started. Welcome to a special edition of the Retirement Wisdom Podcast with a look back at 2022, Season 5. I'm very grateful for the excellent conversations and excellent guests we had on the podcast this year. This is to highlight some of the very best conversations. You'll find links in the show notes where you can listen to the full conversation. If you missed it, you don't want to miss these. And there may be one or two that you'd like to re-listen to because you may be in a different place than when they first came out. First up is a conversation I had with Dr. Becca Levy of Yale University, author of the book Breaking the Age Code. And she shared her findings of her research showing that Attitude is very important, and specifically, our attitudes about the aging process. There was this really rich survey that existed, and so, but there was no health information that was attached to it. So when I found out about this survey, I searched for a way to document their lifespan, all the people who reported on their age beliefs early in the study in, in this town, and I came across something called the National Death Index, which is this great resource that the government keeps that records people's date of death. And so I was able to match the people in this town to information about their longevity. And what we found was that the people who took in more positive age beliefs at the start of the study, they had a median survival advantage over those who took in more negative age beliefs. They had a median survival advantage of seven and a half years. It can be really important to increase awareness of some of the negative messaging and challenge it But also, I think it's important to find ways to strengthen some of the positive older role models or positive images of aging that are around us. And so something that we found that can be effective is to record what I call a portfolio of diverse and positive images of aging. And what that involves is writing down, say, five or so positive older role models. And some of them can be from your own life, could be, you know, a great aunt, a great uncle, And some of them could be from the general world at large. So it could be from current events, a great scientist that you know about. And so if you write down five people, ideally for each one, it would be good to come up with somebody that you admire for a different reason. So that's where the diversity of images come up. So if you, so one person you may admire and put on your list because they have a great sense of humor. Another one, it could be because they've got a great work ethic or a great sense of social justice. So for each person, It's good to think about a quality that you really admire about that person that you would like to strengthen in yourself. And uh, we found that that actively engaging in these different older role models can also start to strengthen some of our, our positive age beliefs. The most important message is that even though we know that these age beliefs are taken in at a very young age from the culture and they can be reinforced over time, we also know that they're not set in stone. So they're they're malleable and we can change them. And I think that has implications both for us as a society that we could actively try to promote an age 
liberation movement and, you know, an age just society that reduces or eliminates ageism and then promotes and celebrates aging and finds opportunities for people of all generations, all ages. And then I think it also suggests that on an individual level, there are things that we can do to shift the negative age messaging from messages of decline to messages of thriving by actively curating and curating the messages that we take in. And then also in reinforcing the messages of aging that are encouraging inclusivity and celebrating aging. There are many different ways to do retirement today. And one way is to keep work in the mix on your own terms. Richard Eisenberg, formerly editor at Next Avenue, shared his experiences with unretirement, his current version of retirement life. So I call it unretirement. Sometimes people call it semi-retirement. For me, what it means is I left my full-time job. I was the managing editor of Next Avenue. I enjoyed that very much. I was there for 10 years, but I felt it was time to give myself time to do some other things. So in January of this year, I unretired. And by that, I mean, I work part-time as a writer for Next Avenue and also now for Market Watch. And I do that sometimes. And I spend some of my other time volunteering and mentoring and traveling when I can, seeing my family when I can, reading, relaxing. I just feel like I I now am able to do some of the things I couldn't do when I had a full-time job. And what's the best part of your new life so far? I guess I would say it's really the freedom and the flexibility that I feel I'm I'm getting right now. The the freedom to decide how I want to spend my days and who I want to be working with and the flexibility to change each day and some days are going to be working all day long, whether I'm reporting an article or writing one, and other days are going to be volunteering or mentoring. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the the mentoring that I was doing this past summer. But I love the idea that I I know vaguely what each week is going to look like, and I I make myself a schedule, but I also know that things are going to change. And that freedom and flexibility is very appealing, and I'm sure it's tempting for people to be considered just full retirement. But you decided to keep working the mix on your own terms, continuing to do writing, as you mentioned. Could you walk us through your thought process and your decision to keep working as part of it? Sure. Well, there are a few things that went into it, and it is something I've been thinking about for quite a while. And I actually told my bosses at Next Avenue last October that this is what I had planned to do starting in January so that they had some notice about it. The reason I want to keep writing and reporting is I enjoy it. And I, I like to write about personal finances and about aging and about retirement. And I didn't want to give that up. So I want to find a way to continue to do that and also explore other places where I might be able to write and edit on other topics as well. The extra income is helpful. It's always nice to have some income coming in in retirement. Aside from one day, I'll start claiming Social Security. I haven't started doing that yet. I do. I am lucky to have some pensions from former jobs, so I'm using those. But mostly it's just that I knew I wanted to continue doing what I'd like to do before, just in a different way. I like to be busy. I know that if I didn't have something on my calendar for most days of the week, I would get upset with myself. I would feel frustrated. And so I knew that continuing to work would give me an anchor and that I could then build the rest of my days around that. I think what surprised me most was 
the uneasiness that you get when you just start in retirement or unretirement. You're used to having a busy day every day of the week, by and large, and knowing more or less what you're going to be doing and where to go and who you're going to be working with. And now all that has gone. Now you're on your own and you've got to figure out how do I want to spend my time and who do I want to spend it with and what's going to give me joy and what do I not want to do. And that can be a little disconcerting at the beginning because it's so different and we're not really trained for that. And we're we're so accustomed to doing what we've been doing. And now you're suddenly not. And so I wouldn't say it's been unpleasant or upsetting, but I would say it takes time and I'm still figuring it out. I'm probably going to be taking a while to figure it out. But that, I guess, was the biggest surprise is that it doesn't come as easy as I was hoping it would. People often don't think about where they're going to find meaning and purpose in this new stage of life. What are they going to retire to? They're mostly focused on what they retired from and maybe the financial side of, well, can I afford to retire and where's my money going to come from? But not sort of what's going to make me want to get up in the morning every day. And where can I find more of that? And I feel like once you do that, you can really make your retirement very special. But if you don't, it can be extremely sad and and possibly very lonely. And I've talked to people who didn't find meaning and purpose or who knew people who didn't, and they tell very sad stories. And I just feel like it's so important to think about that. And if you can think about it before you start retiring, and if you don't, then at least think about it once you do retire and search for ways that you can find meaning and purpose. Planning for retirement brings many, many questions. So many to consider, and one of the big ones is, where will you live in retirement? Sylvia Ascarelli of MarketWatch, she's currently retired since the publication of our podcast conversation, joined us to cover that question and talk about a tool that she created at MarketWatch to help you figure out where will you retire, what are the options, and what might be the best place for you? No, I think we all romanticize certain places. and But for all of us, no matter our age, to me, the big question is, how am I going to build my personal network of friends? We know that socialness, being having friendships is really important for our cognitive, for our brains, and to keep us healthy and happy and to ward off things like dementia, which we all want to avoid. But, and this isn't just for I'm moving in retirement. I had a long conversation with a millennial at my local farmer's market on Saturday, and she was debating whether moving to this suburban area where I live would be a good fit for her as a single woman. And yeah, her mom is here and that is kind of good, but going back to driving people crazy. But it was a lot about how are you going to make, find your tribe? So what activities will you do to meet people? If you don't go to church, what will you do? Do you use meetup? Or do you have a passion that will get you introduced to the local community in some way? So MarketWatch published a piece a while back that I found really interesting. It was about a couple who thought they'd ride out the pandemic at their weekend house along the river. And then rather than the city and being there 24-7, highlighted what they didn't really like about the area that they hadn't really had to deal with before. So they're like, okay, we shouldn't move. And they had fond memories of an area in Rhode Island where on the coast where they'd lived years and years before. So they started house hunting online and ended up buying something, moved. And then once they were there, realized that it was actually hard to break into that community 
or the part of the community they were living in that people had been there for decades and they didn't need to befriend a newcomer. What are you retiring to? Not just what you're retiring from. You've got a lot of years left, I hope, and you want to be happy and healthy. So how are you going to make that that happen? It's something I think about too. What am I retiring to? How am I going to build my network, have my friends? What am I going to spend my time with? What's a 10 o'clock on a Tuesday in February going to look like? I have friends who said when they retired, they made a point of having one thing on the calendar every day to give them some of the structure they wanted. Another thing is if you do want to move, we talked about this a bit already about being about having a, the data can only tell you so much, but do explore your shortlist by, by actually living there for a while. Rent an apartment for a couple of weeks if it's even, or more if you can, not just living in a hotel. Think about how you're going to live your daily life. And once you figure out where to retire to, where you'll live in retirement, the questions don't stop. The next one is, okay, so what am I going to do with all this stuff? And by the way, that question is relevant if even if you decide to stay where you are and retire in place. Our guest, Matt Paxton, joins us to talk about how to lose the stuff but keep the memories. There's a lot of reasons that we struggle with letting go of the stuff, but I've kind of in my 20 year career, I've found out that we, we really attach to the people behind the stuff, not the actual stuff, right? It's the memories, it's the people, it's the stories, it's the way those people made us feel. All of that's wrapped up in the stuff. And so when we let go of stuff, we're letting go of those people that we love so much. So it's hard. When it's your stuff, that's when the emotions kick in. And so I, I got about halfway through the, the process and I had to go through my entire house in the middle of the pandemic. I had a month to pack up my entire, at that point, 46-year career or life. And at the end of the day, I fell in love. I mean, that's why I was moving. I was moving to be with my now fiance and her kids. We were joining our two families. Me and my three boys moved and moved with her and her four kids. So we have seven kids between us. And my wife is a minimalist, and which means we don't have a whole lot of stuff. So I had to get rid of 75% of my stuff to fit. And I'm, I'm telling a long story because it matters. At the end of the day, my finish line was I wanted a happy family. And I, I really struggled. Like it was, The reason I had to rewrite the book was because I got down to like the last week. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. And I called. And she was just my girlfriend at the time. And I said, I don't know. Like, I, this, this may not happen. And I, it was the first time I'd experienced my client's fear. And I was like, oh, this is what they go <laughs> through. And it was like, okay, I get it now. And I've been doing this for 20 years. And I called my, she's now my fiance. And she said, hey, look, man, end of the day, she goes, I'm down here. She goes, I live in Atlanta. She goes, if you want to stay up there in Richmond with all your stuff, she goes, have fun. But if you want to be with me, you got to get rid of it. And it really became that simple. It was a, do I want to have a new life that I don't know what's going to happen? And that's scary. Or do I want to have that safe, space that I'm obviously not happy in, right? But there'd be no change. And so when I got hit with that, it was like, oh, okay, this is really what it's about. And this is why my clients struggle. And I got to rewrite this book. Crap. (laughs) So, So not only did I move, I had then had to every 10 minutes, I had to like go through my emotions and rewrite down, oh, this is why I'm doing this. So it's a very personal book. I put a lot of personal stories into it. But I'll tell you, minimalism, What, what the, the core of minimalism is, 
that you'll have more joy and more happiness with less stuff. It really is the 10 minute sweep. Like I promise you pick a one foot by one foot area. That's it. If you start small, you'll be able to keep going. But too many people, they'll be like, okay, we did 10 minutes. Great. Tomorrow we're going to do nine hours. Like that's where you're going to burn people out. It's the, this is really the game here is to not burn out your partner, right? So whoever, and it, it typically is male versus female. I hate to say that. Just take it slow. If you take it slow and you take off bite size, like 10, 10 minutes for the first week and then like get up to 34. I mean, like sort the pictures, sort the junk mail, like those get ease into it. Take your time. And so this is where I tell people all the time. Don't wait until life makes you make this move, right? Like your health is going to catch up with you. Your career might end it for you. Family, I mean, something in life in general will make this decision for you. So start earlier and do it a little bit every couple of nights. And if you do that, you'll be ready and you'll get to go where you want to go. You'll be 100% in charge and your empowerment of this is on you. If you put it off and put it off and put it off, man, life's going to make this decision for you and all your stuff's going to get tossed. So you, the, and the memories get lost. And so I, I, and I've seen both. I've seen thousands of success stories of both of those endings, but you have the choice. It's up to, it's your choice to do it the right way. Do it often and early so that you have complete control over where you go. I'm often asked, what are some of the biggest things that surprise people when they retire? And I always answer with people discover that there's an emotional part to this that may catch you off guard. In fact, when you leave the office that last day when you retire, there are some people or things waiting for you when you get there, not just your family, but emotional issues and emotions that you thought were tied to your work, but they carry forward. And our guest, Kate Schroeder, came to educate us on how we can think about the emotional side of planning for retirement. When I first discovered this research that Dr. Horner had done and wrote up in a 2012, I think, study for the Journal of Happiness. It was profound. It caught my eye too, because it explained something I had seen and seen and seen and seen, even experienced myself. I mean, I'm not retired, but this happens in other ways too. This idea that once we get to that break, whether it's the big, long transformation of retirement or a 10-day, two-week vacation, where we've been working so hard, we're so excited. In the first few days, it's like the honeymoon period or the first months or years. It's like, yes, this is what I've been working for. But this is what is so fascinating is if we've never done anything to deal with the emotional issues that keeping busy and working and doing all those things we've done for so long provide for us, if we've never dealt with the core issues underneath that. Well, then the minute they take that away, we only have a half, our support only has a half life of so long. And so what her research really quantified, which again is just fantastic, is that usually right after retirement, people just have a real burst of, of happiness, well-being, peace, comfort, satisfaction, which she kind of referred to as the sugar rush experience, which tends to decline a few years later. And she found that this was true across many different demographics. And it happens because regardless of a retirement's age, people crash in retirement, not because most cases they run out of money or any sort of those practical kind of financial sorts of things, but because the psychological transition just throws them into such incredible emotional distress, psychological distress that they are not prepared for 
or they don't have the internal supports to deal with, that suddenly two or three years in, they're saying, oh my gosh, maybe I should unretire. Maybe I should find a second job. Maybe I should. And so instead of working with that issue, okay, why have I crashed? What's going on? Let me deal with that. It's like they just put themselves back in the same pattern again of trying to outrun instead of dealing with it. And that's really the philosophy in my practice is let's not figure out another way to keep your crash, your sugar rush going. I mean, let's figure out what the issue is so you are free to move about your life however you want to. Work if it feels true. Don't work. And so it was a fascinating study she did that really illustrated how there is this real thing that happens. Sugar rush and then a crash, just like it happens physiologically in our body. The psychological distress is just too much for people to deal with. A short break from the conversation with the message for you, the listener. If you'd like to leave a comment, make a suggestion for a future episode, or ask a question that could be answered in a future podcast, you can now do it right from your computer or your phone. Go to the show notes. You'll see a link. You can leave up to a minute and a half voicemail. Love to hear from you. Love to hear your questions, your suggestions, and any comments that you'd like to offer. Now back to the conversation. So I know everyone listening is now saying to themselves, okay, how can I prepare? How can I avoid this crash? So how can people prepare for the emotional side of this transition to retirement? Oh, it's, it's such a great question. Research shows that it's adjusting to retirement is difficult for many, many people. And so that's the first thing that I would want to tell everybody now is that it's pretty impossible to think that, you know, you alluded to this a bit ago, but you've had this routine for so long, so probably spanned decades, really since kindergarten, preschool, you've been leaving Monday through Friday to go somewhere and do something. It's pretty impossible to think that you're going to be able to transition from doing that for so long into just free floating into open time without some kind of struggle. And so what I often encourage people to do is that just like you start saving for retirement early, beginning early exploration of your emotional self, your psychological self before you retire, it allows you time to find that balance and really fundamentally begin to integrate your true self long before it comes time to turn in your keys. So exploring things like what gives me a deep sense of meaning and purpose? What have my values and goals been shaped around? Diving deep to learn about how we're feelings and emotions. What was my psychological development like? The thing about most of us as we grow up into adults who probably more or less figured out how to support ourselves cognitively and physically and all of that. But very, very often people don't spend a quarter of the amount of time on themselves developing themselves psychologically. Psychological development is another foundational part of our development. In fact, we're not going to be able to be very successful in the world, whether it's in a job or a life, unless we have psychological tools. So if you grew up in a family where feelings and emotions and the psychology parts of life weren't as common dinner discussions as things like a math test and what you were going to do for your summer camps and things. Well, then chances are you've grown up to become an adult who probably has lots and lots of feelings, but not too many tools on how do I deal with this, especially difficult feelings. 
Difficult feelings are profound. They are so important. In fact, we need the difficult feelings as much as we need the fun, pleasant, lovely feelings, because otherwise it's like only getting half of our GPS message about where we need to go. All feelings are our energy. They are here to tell us about something we need more of or less of. And generally speaking, the pleasant feelings are here to tell us about what we need more of to be satisfied and find meaning. The unpleasant ones tell us the opposite. This is, I need less of this. So if our psychological strategy throughout life has been, whenever something difficult begins, I just turn the channel or find something to do or get busy or go work some more or whatever it is. Well, basically what we've been doing is outrunning our unpleasant feelings our whole life. And that is a big part too why people get to retirement and they struggle because they have no idea about this whole other part of themselves that has to work in tandem to, I kind of call it, it's like the, what do they call it? The bumper lanes in a bowling alley. It's like, those are the places that kind of keep us on track towards what brings us meaning. So beginning that process early, exploring who really am I? Not who is it that the world told me I ought to be, or I got feedback for, even though it didn't feel true, but who really am I? Who was I wired to be way back before the world shaped me? And how do I keep working on making sure that I am feeding those parts of me? All of that is part of preparing emotionally for this psychological transition of retirement. It's, it's really, really important. And we have to be willing to do that exploration, take some emotional risks, because otherwise we're not going to know when that day comes, the last day of work, we're not going to know where to go or how to be once that, re- that crash hits, you know, putting it simply. It's only when you decide to put energy to both the practical preparations, but also the emotional and psychological preparedness, are you going to be able to find success and have a far easier transition. By starting early, that really gets you ahead of the game so that you're not spending days in, in such in retirement. I don't believe it's a waste because I think all ex- self-exploration is fantastic, but why not be ready so that when that last day comes, you're off, you're going, you're cruising. So that's really the big foundational ways, whether it's through therapy, courses, personal development kinds of things. Typically I say growth, all growth is gonna feel counterintuitive. So being willing to take those emotional risks to really learn deeply about. If you've been listening to this podcast, retirement's on your mind. But do you have clarity about what it's going to be like, what your life's going to be like, and what it could be like? Invest some time in our Designing Your Life coaching process. I have two new groups starting in the third week of January, limited to 10 people in each group, 90-minute sessions by Zoom. And if you register by the deadline of December 31st, you also have two one-on-one coaching sessions with me, one before the program begins and one after concludes, so you have a clear plan of your next steps going forward. You'll find the link to register and more information in the show notes. Designing your life, designing your new retirement starts in January. Hope to see you there. Will you be creative in your retirement? Had the pleasure of speaking with John P. Weiss. He's a retired police chief who writes a fantastic Saturday letter. And he also has several books, a new one just out as well on how he's using his retirement for creative pursuits, writing, painting, 
cartooning and photography? I think it's because, for me anyway, most of the worthwhile things in my life have come from, from working at it, from hard work, from taking risks, from experimenting. They haven't come from scrolling mindlessly on the internet or watching reruns of NCIS on the couch. Don't get me wrong. There's no judgment here. There's a time for that. We all need downtime sometimes to do those things. And I'll be the first to admit I can get lost in rabbit holes on YouTube watching art videos and things like that. But I think when I wrote that piece, Joe, why the convenient path you're on might be leading you astray. I think the message of that article was don't rest on your laurels. It's easy to get comfortable with convenience. You can get at a certain point in your career where things are humming along and everything's fine. Or maybe in your passion, you're at a certain point where, yeah, the paintings look pretty good and I'm pretty happy. And you just you rest on your laurels. You get comfortable. And the problem is, is that that's when you stop growing. And that's the thing about convenience. And, and it's something you really have to watch closely in retirement. Because when you retire, life gets really convenient. You, know, you don't have those commitments you had when you're working. I mean, you could, sometimes the couch looks really, really, it calls to you, you know, say, yeah, it's, you know, it's Tuesday morning. I'm going to have another cup of coffee and see what's on TV. And next thing you know, four hours go by. And I think it's so important that we keep challenging ourselves, particularly in retirement, to try new things and to grow. I think it's so important to keep growing. For me, that means you know, reading. I like to read and learn new things. I like to read broadly. That means exercise. I think if the kiss of death in retirement is, is inactivity. And that's going to be different for different people because one thing I've learned with some of my friends as we all age is that um, the body's like a car. It starts to break down. And now, unfortunately, medicine's so good now we can get replacement parts and we can do a lot to keep that engine running. But I recognize I have a friend who, you know, his knee doesn't work the way it used to. He's had knee replacement surgery and two hip replacement surgeries. So he had to move from, you know, riding bikes and jogging to swimming. And so whatever it is, though, I think inactivity you need to avoid. You got to keep moving. You got to keep growing. You got to keep trying new things. And not be afraid to do hard things. You know, in that article, I talked about this woman, Lindsay Ross, and she's a artful photographer, but she's chosen one of the most difficult forms of photography, wet plate collodion photography. It requires lugging around these huge cameras to take monochromatic black and white images. In this day and age of flashy internet with color, that seems like an anachronism. And, you know, who wants to look at that? But there's a market for that. But more importantly, she's chosen that road, even though it's a harder road, and it's probably harder to make a living at, because of her passion and because she really loves that kind of artwork. And it's like, like right now, I'm on a, a black and white photography thing. I, I just love the classic look of black and white photography. You know, that's a niche sort of market. Not everyone's into that. And so I really admire the photographers that I follow that have chosen this more difficult road. They, they could easily take the road of color photography and and do colorful videos, but they've chosen a particular niche that's harder, but the rewards are much more for that too. So that was really the message behind that piece, I think, was not being afraid to do harder things, to push yourself. Marjorie Fox, the co-author of the book, Women Wise, The Essential Guide to Lifestyle and Financial Decisions as We Age, shared her experience early in retirement, learning to pick our spots. That's because you'll be inundated with requests to join this, do that, become part of this. But it's important to stay focused on your priorities as you choose where and how to invest your time. 
you are not saying just keep busy. And you make a clear distinction between busyness and purpose, being purposeful, being passionate about how you spend your time. Agree completely. Busy is not purpose. Personally, I know how tempting it is to say yes to every opportunity, at least I did, immediately after retirement. I want to stay involved, want to stay involved. And I wanted to stay involved because with retirement, I'd lost my identity, I'd lost structure, I'd lost my purpose, I'd lost relationships. So I said yes to anything and everything that came and approached me. And then I realized this isn't working. But it's also not a good thing to say no to everything either. And as I learned, I decided to say no to rebuilding an aging single family home. My son wanted me to do this because he was born there. He grew up there, but he was living in California. Didn't make any sense at all. And I I also stepped back from a nonprofit board. I originally said yes, because it, it seemed like a good cause and would fill my time. And then I, I realized that old saying, if it doesn't rock your boat, right? Sing your song or whatever. So I haven't regretted those no's. I realized in, in, as I finally started paying attention to my time, I realized that I only had so much bandwidth. And I wanted to have bandwidth to say yes to the right thing or things when they came along. And a right thing certainly came along when Eleanor asked me to join her in writing Women Wise. Now, that and its promotion and everything is going to come to an end. So I may have to figure it out all over again. So what have been the most pleasant and perhaps unpleasant surprises for you in your own transition to retirement? I also had to think about this one. Should have come right to me, but I'm going to start with the unpleasant. And I talked briefly about what was negative about retirement, but I really can't separate. And I tried hard looking back, separate my transition to retirement from my transitions, which were going on almost simultaneously. I mean, with retirement in 2018, I was no longer the owner of my wealth management firm, no longer the CEO, no longer a well-respected advisor. And that, but that came just two years after David's death in 2016. And I was no longer, I was now single, no longer married, no longer a wife. And then with my move in 2019, my new neighbors replaced my neighbors or the neighbors I had known for more than 35 years. People say out with the old and with the new. I really, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. Just Transitions are really difficult. And if you pile one on top of the other, it makes it even more difficult. There certainly are pleasant things. Eleanor laughed about a couple of stories, excuse me, in the book about getting out from the ne- what seemed like never ending stresses, bear markets. I mean, we went through it in 2000, we went through it in 08, 09. And we're going through another one now, but I'm not advising clients. And that, that's a relief. That's a relief. And then, of course, as CEO of a company, you know, I was working to retain the great talent that we have and let go of the talent that we'd made a mistake with. Those things created a tremendous amount of, of pressure. So part of the pleasant is letting go of some stressful things. But of course, part of the 
the pleasures are new focus on my health. Fortunately, I didn't suffer the, the ultimate consequences for not taking care of it. My grandchildren, my faith, and I can think of a few more. Arthur C. Brooks joined me to discuss his new book, From Strength to Strength, and talked about an interesting idea, how to build the habits that create a 401k for your happiness. So just as food is made up of proteins, carbohydrates, and fat, happiness is a combination of enjoyment, satisfaction, and purpose. Those are the three macronutrients that go into happiness. And you will find, and you find that people say that they're happy when they have all three in abundance and in balance, and they notice that they're not very happy if they're missing one or more of those macronutrients. Just like you, you won't feel well physically if you're missing one of those macronutrients from your nutritional profile. So those are the three. Now, enjoyment, you know, is pretty obvious, although there's a big literature on what it means. Satisfaction is tricky because satisfaction is the reward and the joy that comes from a job well done. And, And as Mick Jagger sings, I can't get no satisfaction. The truth is you can, you just can't keep no satisfaction. And because that's the way your brain is designed is to make you run and run and run and run and run. And I do a whole lot of research on how to break that. In the book, I actually talk about the formula for breaking that, breaking the back of that tyranny. And finally, purpose or meaning actually requires challenge and trauma and hardship and pain and actually requires unhappiness paradoxically. So these are kind of complicated phenomena, but all together, everybody can get better at getting happy if you've got the knowledge and skills. But there's also the habits to develop for the people who are the happiest people. Now, the habits of the unhappiest people are that they maximize four things, money, power, pleasure, and fame are prestige. Most people don't want to be famous, actually, but they want to be admired. You know, they want the prestige. So that's the formula that people think will bring them happiness and just does not. That's the formula for chronic dissatisfaction. And, you know, your grandma told you that, but, you know, your grandma's always right. The real formula has that we need to pivot to is, and these are the habits, this is based on 10,000 research articles, and so I'm boiling the ocean here. But the habits of the happiest people is that they think every day about putting a deposit in four accounts. This is important, you know, this is retirement wisdom here, you know, you got to put, this is these are the 401k accounts for your happiness. And that's your faith, your family, your friendship, and work that is not necessarily paying work, because a lot of people retire to listen to this. It is work that, that where you earn your success by, in other words, you're creating value with your life and you're serving other people, people who need you. Faith, by the way, is not necessarily a traditional religious faith. You know, mine is, but not everybody's is. It's a sense of the transcendent, something bigger than you. Friendship is pretty obvious. Family, the ties that bind and don't break and that we don't choose. And God knows in many cases we wouldn't choose, but these are the people that we can count on. These are the four accounts. You know, when I'm talking about it's uh, start your spiritual journey. I have a whole chapter in this book, how to start your spiritual journey, You're, how to recultivate the root system in your life for your family. If you're retiring and you, if you have adult kids, call them, establish this relationship. You need to go move near them if you've got grandkids. Don't be, it's like, yeah, I'm going to live in Florida because it's warm and there's golf. No, that's not going to bring you happiness like being near your grandkids is going to bring you happiness. Friendship is critically important. There are a lot of people who are retired today, older people who just, they don't even know how to make friends successful people from Wall Street. They got tons of deal friends, no real friends. And I talk in the book, I have a whole chapter about how to make real friends, not just deal friends. And finally, meaningful work where you serve other people. Those are the secrets, faith, family, friendship, and work. That's, those are the habits of the highest happiness people. If you're like most people listening to this podcast, you may enjoy the topics, you may enjoy our guests, but you hate the name and the word retirement. Well, 
most of us do. Francine Toder, retired psychologist, has, I think, a better phrase, and that's the vintage years. So a more healthy way to look at it, I think. And she joined us to talk about how to approach those years to get the most out of them and how to stay sharp. Well, this is the richest stage in life. For one thing, I am a psychologist, so I look at the world through psychologists' eyes. When you get to this stage of life, your mental health is probably better than it's ever been. And partly, and this may surprise some people, it's because the drop-off in certain hormones, estrogen and testosterone and some other ones that pull for other kinds of activities. And when those are gone, there is more room for taking up something new. And so and besides that, at this point, we have wisdom. And wisdom means, and I'll give you an example, kids have little bookcases full of half a dozen books. And by the time you're out of school, you've got a big bookcase. And by the time you're 60, you've got a huge bookcase. Well, it's the same way in your brain. You have a huge amount of storage in your brain. And that between excellent problem-solving skills that young people don't even have, those two things together make this the richest stage in life. And vintage sort of is relevant to that. So for your book, you interviewed late-blooming musicians, visual artists, writers, dancers, and people involved in theater. What's one story you can share that gives a sense of their life in this phase? Well, I pulled out one that I love because it's about someone, it's in the ebook. It wasn't, it didn't make it into the hardcover book, but it is in the ebook. And it, and it's called Rochelle, the Metal Sculptor. And I'll just read a paragraph from that because I think it really describes it well. Try to imagine a 78-year-old woman, barely over five feet tall, wielding an acetylene torch to create art with found metal. Perhaps parts of wrecked cars getting ready to be salvaged or bed springs repurposed, reshaped and reimagined. That would be Rochelle, a self-taught sculptor who has been at her trade since she was 58. Now, she had no talent, according to her, at all. But when she got to be in her mid-40s and 50s, she was an office manager and got very close to the owner of the business. And when he was dying, he said to her, I'll read those words to you, Rochelle, you've always talked about being an artist. Don't die wondering. I'm leaving with a lot of unfulfilled dreams, and I don't want that to happen to you. And he said to her, she said she remembered his words, which were, quote, it's never too soon and it's never too late. Well, she thought when she was a child, she wanted to do some artistic work. But her family discouraged her. They didn't think it was practical. She came from a working class family in Western Pennsylvania. And she forgot all about her art for years. And then she married a professional athlete and they traveled a lot. So it was focused on his life, not hers. And then when when he retired, that's when she started noticing that she was looking around in junkyards for parts and didn't know why. Long story short, she's a famous metal sculptor. We call junk sculpture here. You're using junk parts. Uh, and she's, she's courted all over the world for her very large pieces. In her front yard, she's got pieces that are like 12 feet tall that she's done. And picture this five-foot woman with an acetylene torch. And she's still at it. She's in her late 80s now. 
She's a neighbor of mine. That's how I met her. And she never thought she had any talent. So there you go. So you might be thinking about when or if you'll retire. Steve Lopez, columnist for the LA Times, took a year from one Independence Day to the next to talk to a number of people to help inform his decision. He spoke with people from all walks of life and learned about their experiences with retirement, some who were thriving, some who were struggling, and some who decided retirement was never in the cards for them. Well, there's a couple that stand out for me because these two gentlemen are almost exactly my age. So we're on the same trajectory in that regard. And one is a priest by the name of Father Gregory Boyle. And Father Greg works in Los Angeles with a group called, um, well, his organization is called Homeboys. And he's trying to rescue and redirect the lives of uh, youngsters who have been in trouble as kids in Los Angeles and give them uh, job skills and whatever other training they might need. It's a two-year program. And Father Greg is legendary in the Los Angeles area. He reminds me of uh, Sister Mary Scullion in Philadelphia, who's another hero of mine I got to write about and get to know when I was at the Philadelphia Inquirer. In fact, Sister Mary visits Father Greg when she's in Los Angeles, and she'll check in with me, and I'll go over there and have lunch with her or a cup of coffee. But these are living saints, the two of them, Sister Mary and Father Greg. So I went to see Father Greg. I was actually working on a column about an award he had just won, and I said, by the way, uh, you and I Father Greg had briefly discussed retirement a couple of years ago, and I'm really beginning to think about it now much more seriously. How about you? And he's, he looked at me with kind of surprised, like, was he really hearing me say that I might retire? And he said that he has no consideration whatsoever of retiring now or ever. And I felt I can tell you, I felt pretty wimpy in that moment. Like, here I am ready to check out. And Father Greg, same age as I am, sounded as committed and as energetic as ever. And he said, the work that he does is a passion. And it gives him a sense of, of relevance. And that's what life is, finding something that gets you out of bed, that serves others. And he just couldn't quite understand how Somebody like me who can write stories about people like him and other people would ever want to give that up. That's sort of my religion is to try to find interesting people to write about and try to shine a light on people's experiences, their struggles, their triumphs. And he just couldn't think of what I might find in my life better than that. And I said, really, Father Greg, never? You're never, ever going to retire? And he said, I'm a Jesuit. I'm going to retire in the graveyard. And so I felt like, I think I love my work as much as Father Greg loves his. So it really stopped me. It had me wondering, you know, if I were making the right decision, if I ended up deciding to retire. And then the other guy, also my age, is a kind of a legendary winemaker in California. His name is Randall Graham. And he was kind of the, one of the early developers of what's known as, you know, the Rhone varietals. He blended them, and it was a big hit. His winery was called Bonnie Dune, and he did Cardinal Zinn. 
and he did some other really popular wines that were also critically acclaimed. And he was crowned the Roan Ranger of California. So I went to see Randall Graham. I was working on a story about climate change and how it impacts the wine industry. And the impact is quite significant. He was talking about how there's less fog along the coast of California than there used to be. And the impact that has on grapes. And maybe there won't be any more Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon in a few years. So there I am talking to him. And we're on his vineyard. It's just the two of us. And we're sitting at a picnic table after he's given me a tour of his operation where he's trying to create a climate change resistant grape. And he's bringing out his wines and we're sampling them. And we're looking out across toward Monterey County. And the coast is beyond us, and there's cool ocean air coming in. And I start talking about maybe it's time to retire. And Randall says, well, what are you going to do in retirement that's better than getting paid to sit with me in a vineyard and drink wine in the middle of the day? And I thought, (laughs) that's a pretty good point. That's a damn good argument here. And I said, so are you ever going to retire? And Randall said, I will retire in the vineyard, meaning I'm going to work until I die right here. So those are two guys who were exactly my age, who did something they loved and still love. And I thought, I'm one of them, I think. So am I a fool to even be considering this? And should I just keep doing what I do? And so they made a big, I thought long and hard about those guys. And I feel kind of simpatico with them. And I, I didn't know after meeting with them whether I could retire. And there was another group you talked with people who were disappointed with retirement wasn't really living up to their expectations. What did you take away from those conversations? The people who uh, were disappointed in retirement? Well, I'll tell you what, one of my favorites, and this is an example of why you need to think things through. There was a woman who worked in the legal department of a toy company doing patents. And she had been doing it for quite a while. And She was very much happy with her career and with her job and also looking forward to retirement. So much so, so much so that she, with great anticipation, looked forward to her going away party and it was a cake and it was all of that. And it was, thank you so much for your service. And that was on a Friday. And she went home and woke up on a Saturday. I'm free, 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 free at last. And spent, you know, a lovely weekend just puttering around. And then on Monday, got up and thought, well, it's Monday now, and boy, I've got nothing on my calendar, and I've got nowhere to go. And at first, that was kind of a liberating thought. But a little bit later in the day, when she still couldn't think of what to do or where to go, it began to weigh on her a little bit. And by the end of the week, by the end of her first week in retirement, she could not take it anymore. So she called her boss and said, I think I made a big mistake. If I wanted to, could I come back? And he said, sure. So this woman went back to work. And I thought, you know what? I can see myself doing that. Because I'm more of a, this book was kind of a a new experience for me because I operate, I think, more with on gut instinct rather than necessarily always thinking things through to my detriment. And I thought, I could see myself doing that. I could see myself saying, yeah, I'm out. Where's the cake? Let's light the candles. Pass me a drink. And then as soon as you walk away, it's like, okay, 
what do I do to fill that giant void? And the void, the void is something that really weighed on me throughout the year of consideration as to whether, what might I do with all of that time? And even if I think, even if I think I've got it figured out, have I really, really thought this through? And I don't know. I think it's, even if you're ready, I think it's got to be really hard to walk away. And it is, as Nancy Schlossberg said, a huge transition. And you can't anticipate all of the things you'll be going through emotionally as you make that transition. Thanks for listening to the very best of 2022 and the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. You can find links in the show notes to the full conversations to catch up on any that you missed, or there may be one or two that you'd like to re-listen to with a different perspective. Wishing you all a happy new year, and we will see you back on January 2nd with our first episode of season six. So when I coach people who are leaving the world of full-time work, speaking of disrupting the status quo, these are people that aren't quite done yet. They often want to do something meaningful, but they're not clear yet what about what they really want to do. And your concept of a worthy goal in your new book, How to Begin, can really help, I think. What makes something a worthy goal? Yeah, I mean, this is such a crossroads, isn't it? Where you've, you know, what David Brooks would call is like, are you ready to climb the second mountain? Because you've climbed the first mountain of your career and you've had success and you've got status and you've got, you're now resourced and experienced and you've got, as they call it, Nordic highlights. You've gone gray. You've got all of that. <laughs> and you're like, you're 50 or 55 or 60 or 65. And you're thinking to yourself, I've got 20 good years left at least. I don't want to play golf the whole time. What am I going to do? And so this book is written because I'm 50 something, 53 or something. So I'm kind of in this space myself. And I'm like, okay, so a worthy goal is about what are you going to do with your time? There's a legacy act. So it's perfect for the folks listening to us now, Joe. And a worthy goal has three elements to it. Is it thrilling? Is it important? And is it daunting? So let me just kind of break those down a little bit. Thrilling starts with you. Do you care about this? Do you light up? Do you kind of rub your hands together and go, oh, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about this. I'm pretty excited about taking this on. This speaks to what I care about, what my values are. If you, I'm not that great at kind of connecting to passions, but if you have passions, it's like, it's the best of who you are now. It's the best of who you want to be when you grow up. I mean, I know you're 55, but we're all still trying to figure out who we're going to be when we're growing up. So it's all of that. And that's helpful because sometimes when you get to this point, you feel like you should be doing stuff. And you know, oh, well, you know, I should be doing this. I should be volunteering. I should be writing a book. I should be starting a new business. I should be consulting. I should be who knows what. And actually, we start by just going thrilling, which is like, what do you want? What do you want to do? But if it's just that, it becomes a little self-indulgent. It might mean that you just spend your whole time playing golf. And I know that's good for a lot of people. But for some of you, I'm like, you know, you've got more to offer and getting your handicap down a little bit. So that's the important element. The important element is, do you give more to the world than you take? Because for so many people in this position, you are actually resourced. This is a place for you to think about contribution. This is, this is the David Brooks's second mountain, which is like, how am, I, how am I serving the world? How am I leaving the world a little bit better than I found it? So important really says, all right, thrilling is good, but you need to find the balance between important as well. And then the third element is daunting. So 
is just going to push you and stretch you and grow you. Because you know that saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? That seemed to be true when we were all 30. But now that we're not all 30, it's not true, is it? We can teach an old dog new tricks, and we're not even that old, damn it. (laughs) So the daunting is like, look, it's very clear that the way that you avoid degenerative mental diseases and physical diseases is you keep learning. It's actually not about, can I keep doing the crossword? It's like, do you still stay curious about life? Do you still stay curious about yourself and what's possible and what your potential is and what you can learn? That is it. That is a silver bullet to aging as well as you can, as long as you can. So daunting invites you to ask the question, so is this going to stretch and grow me? Because the temptation is when you're as accomplished as the people listening to this podcast are, you can do stuff that is thrilling and important, but it's in your comfort zone because you've done it. And as good as it is to tap into that experience, like where's the learning edge for you? Just one more thing before you take off. Is it time to design your new life after you graduate from the world of full-time work? Go to retirementwisdom.com and schedule a call today with Joe Casey. Working with an experienced coach like Joe can help you explore new possibilities and gain clarity on your future. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. See you next week. 